and welcome to The Porch with Alicia Barlow. Hi, I'm Alicia Barlow, author of The Porch, a place for enjoyment, conversation with people, reflection, and encouragement. Hello, this is Alicia. I'm here with Miss Ophelia Jada. Yes. <laughs> Hello, Miss Jada. Thank you for meeting me and joining me on The Porch. I don't know you very well. We just met not too long ago, but you impressed me and um, you're going doing a lot of things. And I just kind of wanted to talk with you and see, you know, where you're going and what you're doing and, you know, how all this applies to things that you plan on doing in the future. I met Miss Jada uh, actually just a few weeks ago, maybe a month ago. Mm-hmm. Um, we were at a, actually, I met you at the Oklahoma City University um, alumni dinner. Yes. And I saw you there and speaking with you, we had actually saw each other maybe a couple of weeks prior to that, <laughs> not knowing. <laughs> and that was at a women's conference, mm-hmm. which was very, very good mm-hmm. at um, S- S- Southern Nazarene University. Okay. And that is actually where you are attending school yes. to receive your doctoral degree. Mm-hmm. Great, great. So we're, I just wanted to talk with you. You're getting your doctoral degree, and we'll talk about that and what all that is entailing and what you're going to um, be getting that in. I just kind of want to get to know you a little bit, you know? Uh, so Mrs. Miss Ophelia, Jada, Ophelia. I like that name, Jada. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> have never, never heard that before. That's I like it. And so um, you are currently volunteering as a CASA Volunteer? Yes. I had worked in international business for many, many years. I was an international consultant, and my specialty was oil and gas and mining. So I had worked in that for many, many years. And then I retired, and uh, I wanted to do something to give back to the community. So I signed up to be a CASA, which is a court-appointed special advocate. And during that time, I received some training and learned about uh, children who are in the custody of DHS because the parents are having a few challenges. And so DHS is there to help the parents and help the children and to maybe keep the family together. So that's what a CASA does. A CASA goes in and gets information about the case that they can present to the judge that is what is in the best interest of the child. Okay, okay. Now, how did you say you heard about the program? Or what, what, you said that you wanted to do something to give back to the community, but but how did you hear about CASA? Yes, I heard about CASA through one of my friends. Um, I was served on the board of a community organization, and she told me about it. She said, listen, have you ever thought about doing some volunteer work for CASA? And I said, I've never heard of that. So she said, no, it's a national organization, and it's for people who just want to represent a child's interest in front of the judge. In other words, like if you go to court, everybody has an attorney. Their parents have an attorney. The grandparents may have an attorney. But who's looking after the interest of the child? And that's what the CASA does because the the CASA wants to make sure that the child is going to be in a safe 
and comfortable environment. Okay. Now, does cost representatives or advocates, are they um, seen throughout all of childhood, you know, children in the state system? Mm -hmm. Or is it just certain systems that you see a a CASA uh, advocate? Okay. Now, CASA is a volunteer organization. And anytime a child gets into the custody of DHS, uh, a CASA can be appointed. But it depends upon if they have enough CASA volunteers. And so we definitely need more volunteers because there are more children in the DHS system than there are CASA volunteers. So we're always looking for people who want to volunteer to interact and to speak on behalf of the child. Okay. And how long have you been doing this? For about two and a half years. Yes. It is a wonderful opportunity. And the reason why I enjoy it is because I've learned a lot. Um, I thought I knew about parenting and about what a child needs, but you really don't unless you get the training where you find out what things help a child to grow and to prosper and what things can actually help them to withstand difficulties in life so that they don't have to uh, end up being bullied or harmed by other people so that they can learn how to stand up for themselves. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, you, you mentioned training. So is there training with being a CASA mm-hmm. advocate? Mm-hmm. When you sign up to be a CASA, they put you through a lot of training. <laughs> okay. And you're required every year to do at least 12 hours of continuing education because laws change and uh, rules change, so they want you to be up to date as to what's happening with the juvenile justice system and what's happening with parents and what's happening with the police department so that you can be very well informed about what's going on. Now, where do you go to get the training? Now, the good thing is we do a lot of the training through the uh, through CASA. They offer courses, but they also work with the Oklahoma uh, State Education Department. They offer classes and with the Oklahoma um, Department of Youth Services, they offer classes. Mm -hmm. So you're constantly being able to stay up to date on the training of what's in the best interest of children. Oh, that's great. That's Mm -hmm. wonderful. That's wonderful. So many people don't know about the, the advocacy. Yes. Of, of, of that program. It's um, very important. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. Mm-hmm. Um, now, you say that you work for the, you know, you do this in the interest of the child. Mm-hmm. Who do you report to? Okay. So, CASA, I report to the Canadian County uh, CASA. In other words, CASA is divided up into different counties. Wherever your county is, you will usually have a nonprofit organization that is a CASA, and then they that's who you report to. They usually have a board of directors and board members, and they run the volunteer organization. Okay, okay. And speaking with you earlier, you had mentioned that you've been sworn in, or do you get sworn in every time you present a case, or not present a case, mm-hmm. but every time you 
present information mm-hmm. and you work directly with the judge? Is, I mean, kind of explain that process. Yes. Well, as soon as you complete all of your training, then the judge swears you in. So there is a swearing in yeah, process there is a swearing after in you process. get your training. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then you, that means that you agree to abide by the rules of the court and the, and, and the procedures of the court. And then after that, then you are handling your cases. And you could, it, it just depends. Uh, sometimes you might be assigned to one child. Uh, sometimes you might be assigned to three. So it just depends upon what's happening. Wow. Wow. Almost sounds like maybe a, almost a social work service of some sort. Yes. Do you, excuse me, do you work with social workers or case yes. managers? Right. You're going to be involved with everybody in the case. Your job as the CASA is to make sure you interact with the, the bio parents, with the foster parents, with the teachers, with the counselors. You're trying to talk to everybody to get an in-depth view of what would be the best thing for that child. Mm-hmm. And now, do you have any direct contact with the child himself or oh, herself? Yeah. You will be meeting with the children. You'll be seeing them and meeting with them at least once a month. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you really are the eyes and ears for the judge. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. So you report all this to the judge? Mm-hmm. You do a, um, a court report to the judge where you document everything that you've been doing and what you've observed, and then you make recommendations. Now, when you say recommendations, what type of recommendations, you know, in general, what type of recommendations do you make? For example, if you feel that the parents need to be doing some more counseling, maybe getting some more skills, you'd be surprised at the number of parents who've never had a parenting class. So they're charged with the responsibility of raising a child, but they really haven't ever been trained as to what does a child need uh, at this particular age, what can help them to grow and prosper. Well, I don't think I've met anybody that's had a parenting class. <laughs> you know, so, so I mean, are there just certain people that need parenting classes? Or are you saying that everybody needs a parenting everybody class? Everybody needs a parenting class. That's why I was so amazed. I said, I thought I was well-educated. And then I went to here and I said, I've never had a parenting class. So we're just doing what we've learned, which may not be the best, but we're just... We're just doing what we've learned. And so we need to get new skills to see what works best and what has been proven to be in the best interest of the child. I'm sure some people will say, you know, I did pretty, you know, my children have worked grown up and they're doing pretty well with what I know. I'm just saying, you know, I'm sure there's people out there that would say that. I may not think that everyone needs a parenting class. I don't know. But that's, you know, but that's that's very interesting. Very Mm -hmm. interesting. Mm -hmm. And so um, you do work directly with the children Mm -hmm. and report to the judge. And so that's, that's great. That's Mm -hmm. wonderful. Mm -hmm. And so um, tell me after, you know, after reporting, you know, reporting with the child and how does that process, um, I guess, follow through. Okay. So um, when a child is in the custody of DHS, 
the first thing that I think everybody is interested in is how can we get the keep the family together? together. Okay, we know that pa- pa- parents might have made some mistakes, or they may not have been trained, or they may have done some incorrect things. So we want to know what can we do to help this parent to be a better parent and to give them the skills and the tools that they need in order to be successful. So the first thing we want to do is to analyze and strategize as to what does the person know? What are they willing to learn? Are they willing to be trained? Are they willing to learn new skills? Do they see how their behavior is negatively impacting the child. Because a lot of people just don't know. They're only giving back to the child what they've learned. No, that, that's, I, I see that. That is true. Mm-hmm. That is true. You, you, you only know what you know. So we want to give people some new information and to give them new resources okay. that they can use to help them to be a better parent. So when you're providing these recommendations, where do they actually go to fulfill the recommendations that you have uh, recommended? Okay. So the good thing is we have a system in place. We make recommendations and then the, uh, the court will mandate that they be carried out and the court will stay on top of the situation and to check to make sure is the parent completing the training? Is the parent uh, showing up for their counseling sessions? Is the child getting behavioral health? So we, we, we can now start documenting everything so that everyone is on point and know what they're supposed to be doing. Right, right. Now, does CASA provide the training for the parents, or is there an outside source that provides that parental training? We have uh, plenty of outside sources and plenty of counselors and plenty of courses that are available. So we're just like the facilitator. We're just introducing it to the parent and introducing it to the family so that they can know what's available for them. Because a lot of people don't know. Uh, Simple things like... um, how to manage your money, your budget, so that you don't run out of money before the end of the month and you can still have money to buy food, things like that. Simple little budgeting skills, little resources we add in. Okay, mm-hmm. great, great. What are some of the um what are some of the things that you have seen mm-hmm. in your personal cases mm-hmm. that 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 you represent? Okay. So, uh, well, the one thing that why I'm excited about this is we can improve if we get more information. See, what I didn't realize is if I have suffered any type of abuse or trauma, and if I don't take care of it, it's going to affect my children and my grandchildren. In other words, it's like it's passed down from generation to generation. So if one person in the family says, hey, I want to change this, we can do better. It's going to uplift the whole family dynamic. And that's what we're trying to do is to get people to say, it's okay that we don't know, but let's get some information so that we can do better. Right, great, great. Mm-hmm. So you said that you've you know, you've worked in economics and as an accountant mm-hmm. for 
various agencies and, mm-hmm. and companies. Mm-hmm. And then you started doing this volunteer work at CASA. Mm-hmm. Where did the transition? Now, you're working on a doctorate, correct? Mm-hmm. Yes. And so tell me how all that flowed into what you're wanting to do now and what doctorate mm-hmm. program you're in and what's what's going on. Okay, well, I tell you, after I learned about, um, it's called Adverse Childhood Experiences. Once I learned that things that happen to you as a child, they can affect you for the rest of your life. That's when I said, uh-oh, people need to know about this. That even if you've had a bad experience, if you don't deal with it, it's going to be following you forever. But this is the most important thing. Research has shown that it will affect the quality of your physical health. In other words, things that happen when you're just a little girl, little boy, you got over it, you move on, but it's still inside of your brain and it can affect your health later on in life. All right. So now is this this is what you're, okay, tell me, you're, yes. this is the degree that you're working on mm-hmm. now, or this is the uh, research paper that yes. you're working on? Mm-hmm. I, I said, I need to learn more about this. So, because we have a lot of elderly parents, a lot of elderly patients who are ending up getting uh, a lot of dementia and not being able to take care of their faculties. And a lot of it is because they're still going back to old memories that haven't been resolved. So we need to learn how to digest what has happened in the past deal with it and manage it and move on. Okay. So what are some things that through your research that you're finding that a person can do Mm -hmm. to help them move on or help them manage it or Mm -hmm. help them deal with it? Mm -hmm. How does a person do that? Right. Excellent. Uh, We have something, we know about adverse childhood experiences, but then there are things that you can do to boost your own self-esteem. In other words, if you have just one adult in your life that takes an interest in you, that supports you, that encourages you, that can transform a lot of trauma. So in other words, even if you've gone through a difficult patch, if you've got one adult in your life that says, you know, like a a Girl Scout leader or Boy Scout leader or uh, someone like that, that just just encourages you, listen, you can do it, or if you're involved with sports, or if you're involved with singing in the choir, anything that you can do to demonstrate your competency, that helps you to be able to outmaneuver any difficulties. So do you find that people should seek out these um, positive influences young in life, or how how, do that, how does one seek that out, you yes. know, before adulthood, mm-hmm, you know, or mm-hmm. even in, or even in adulthood? Yes. So, so what is, what is the process for that? Okay. It, an excellent question. We should know that we are all interconnected and we can learn from other people and other people can show us things about ourselves that can help us to grow. In other words, we need to let people know that life is always going to be a process of learning, getting new information, applying it, 
trying new things because the more new things that you can learn, the better you off you will be able. You know, you talk about how we're interconnected. And I was just thinking um, about this as I was driving, how since to me, um, since COVID, it sometimes it appears that we are becoming an isolated society. Mm -hmm. Everything is by yourself Mm -hmm. or in your home. Mm -hmm. We shop in our home. We get our groceries delivered. Um, we go to church by watching TV. Mm-hmm. Um, some people just work in their home. So if we're mm-hmm. working in our home, getting our groceries delivered to our home, getting all our other goods and medications and things delivered to our home, our social interactions for like church or just communicating with other people are done in our home. Mm-hmm. Work environment is in our home. Where is that connection? How, mm-hmm. I mean, we are physical beings. Yes. You know, we are meant to be with each other. Mm -hmm. But I find that we are finding ourselves more stuck in a box, our homes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What do you think about that? Or how how do we work past that? Or what do we need to do to kind of break through that, Mm -hmm. you know? Well, that's a great point. What people don't realize is you can only learn what you can experience. So if, you, if you're not interacting with people, then you really don't know what's ticking you off, what's making you unhappy, what's causing you to be sad. So our people interactions with others is what allows us to learn more about our personal self. So the interaction is very important. Even it's just like um, when you have a family reunion, okay? <laughs> you need to get together and talk. It may be uncomfortable, but at least you get a chance to see each other. You get a chance to know what's happening. You just need to interact with other people because that's how you know how things are going. Okay. So you mentioned talking, mm-hmm. you know, and it is. We we we, we don't seem to talk mm-hmm. much mm-hmm. anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, just the other day, I guess yesterday this was, you know, um, you probably saw it on the news yourself. Um, a young man committed suicide. The, um, the, the dancer or the DJ that was on a particular um, television show. And that just hurts me. And we look at him and we see him smiling. We see him interacting with people, dancing. Um, But we just never know what people are going through. Mm -hmm. And um, even as people are going through things, we don't know what they're going through. But sometimes I don't think people know how to reach out. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. we're walking around with a facade. Mm Everybody's smiling and, you know, and nobody's really saying, hey, I need help. Mm -hmm. How can a person vocalize? Mm -hmm. I need to talk to somebody. Mm -hmm. I need help. Mm -hmm. I think we are afraid of what people will say, Mm -hmm. how people will, you know, perceive Mm -hmm. what we're saying or what we're actually going through. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that is something as individuals we also need to work through. So how, how would one... When you're working with children as mm-hmm. an advocate mm-hmm. and you see that these they're going through some things, mm-hmm. I guess maybe how do you encourage 
uh, a child or even a young adult mm-hmm. or, you know, even someone that's older, mm-hmm. how to reach out and, and get the information or give the, um, ask for the help oh, or that, they, that they're, they're, they're seeking and that they're needing. I think that is so hard, you know, for people to do mm-hmm. is to ask for help. Mm-hmm. And sometimes asking may not be vocal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so as a society, what do we need to do to recognize that someone is asking for help, even when they, if they don't vocalize it? Mm-hmm. Even if they're walking around with a smile on their face, mm-hmm. you know, are there signs and symptoms mm-hmm. that we can see or look for to say, you know what, maybe I need to reach out to that mm-hmm. person. Mm-hmm. And um even just acknowledging people to say, how are you really doing? <laughs> or even to ask, what can I do to support you on your journey? Because okay. we all need support. Yeah. I mean, because that's we, we're humans. We all need support. We all need encouragement. We all need someone to be giving us a little boost of encouragement. So every day, if we can just find one person yes. and provide that encouragement, mm-hmm. you know, just to how say, are you doing today? Yeah, just to say, listen, uh, uh, that's a nice hat you're wearing. my face. Because again, you never know what someone is going through. Mm-hmm. You don't know what someone else might have. So yes, thank you. Yeah, because really everybody needs encouragement and everybody needs support. Yes. Everybody. Not didn't say one. I said everybody needs it. You find people that are, we call them encouragers. Mm-hmm. But even the encourager needs encouragement. Needs encouragement. Mm-hmm, I mm-hmm. agree with that. Mm-hmm, yes, mm-hmm, yes. Mm-hmm. Well, Miss Jada, gosh, I thank you for coming in and sharing this information and giving us this knowledge of CASA. Is there yes. anything else that you want to talk, say? Oh, I just want to encourage people to know that you are more important than you imagine especially in the life of a child. When a a young child is uh, in need of encouragement, they're looking to you for your input. Mm -hmm. So don't feel shy about encouraging, about uh, inspiring, and about being a good role model for others. Mm -hmm. Everybody needs support, and you are important in the process. Oh, wow. Thank you. Thank you for listening and joining me on the porch. Remember to take time to reflect, share memories, and engage with others on your porch. And I'll meet you here next time on The Porch, your podcast for community conversations. Brought to you by the Possibilities Podcast Platform.